Hi there and welcome to the Book Realities Podcast, a series of interviews with independently-minded authors where we explore their books, their writing techniques, and what made them become a writer in the first place. I'm your host, Ian Hooper, and as well as being an independent author, I also run the Book Reality Experience. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of Book Realities Interviews with Authors and today we're joined by I.C. Lawrence, the author of Blood Influence. Hello Ian, thanks for joining us. Hi Ian, thanks for the invitation. Oh good, this will be an Ian Squared interview, so it's Ian and Ian. Uh, it's a very common name, I think, in our era. I don't think it's used at all now for kids. No, I know. It's it's fallen out of fashion. That's <laughs> terrible. Um, so for uh, people that don't know anything about you or indeed your book, uh, who is Ian Lawrence and what is Blood Influence all about? Well, I've been an academic for many, many years. So I'm a, a, a medical scientist, medical researcher, medical doctor, And I've been doing a lot of research into various aspects of uh, the bowel, because that's my area. Uh, And so I've written an awful lot of grants, uh, a lot of of papers over the many years. Uh, But this is my first foray into fiction. Uh, And although I may not get uh, my grants funded, I usually get a response back from the reviewers saying, well written. (laughs) So at least as well written, even if they don't like the science. And blood influence, obviously, um, there's there's blood in the title, so it's got something to do with um, some crossover from medical, but not anything to do with the bile, I take it. Uh, one of the things I always find very fascinating about books is no one ever goes to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I did actually make aspects people had to go to the toilet in my book. I mean, I had to have at least something to do with my, my area of uh, specialty. Um, Look, yes, it's blood. Um, Blood can be in many aspects. It could actually be the physical blood. It could actually be in the genetic blood, you know, the way you use the word. So it could be the genetic aspects of somebody. It could be actually within the physical blood of somebody. It is a fantasy. It's more of an adult fantasy. Uh, It does have dark aspects to it. Uh, And as with any fantasy, you need to have some form of supernatural, some form of magic or something like that. I'm not into spells and wands. I love Harry Potter. I love that sort of work, but that's not what I write. So mine is more what are called influencers. And influencers are the ability to push your will onto something else. And so that's why we call the influence. And the blood aspect of this, well, it could both be uh, genetic as well as um, literal blood. So the world that you've created is set primarily within, well, it begins within a valley which is overlooked by a tower. And and then certain things happen to three protagonists. So do you want to give us a, a quick potted overview of the first volume? Well, the first volume is... I. It, it may be fairly, fairly generic, but we do know that there's great changes during puberty, during that um, that age group. That age, and this is why it worked for Harry Potter and various other books, it's a naivety. There's a whole lot of ways that people do not understand the world about them. So it's a very small, insular way that people look at things. 
This is a uh, pre-industrial agrarian society, so there are no mobile phones, there is no uh, motor vehicles, It's they're looking at carts, horses, carriages, it's farming, and so we're looking at hamlets and towns and villages. Um, and so, therefore, we're looking at a rather naive perspective of three major protagonists who are born all at the same time, and they all have their various different backgrounds, and they don't actually meet for, let us say, for a while in the book. We follow their journeys, we follow their understandings and the different paths, but they're all tied together and they're all tied together in the underlying aspect of the book, which is to do with the influences. Um, I am not into the idea of a saviour of a generic, oh, the chosen one that, again, worked wonderfully well 20 years ago. Uh, it's now a bit overdone. And so we do not have a saviour. We do not have a chosen one. Uh, and it's more of a composite uh, conflict between two ways of thinking, two people groups. And although that may not be all that uh, clear in the first book, because we are dealing with children who are growing up, with the second book, that becomes far more uh, obvious. And as this progresses, it becomes more and more an aspect of it. I suppose you could almost put it into something like The Hunger Games. With The Hunger Games, the first book and the first movie, which people are probably more familiar with, it really does focus on two major characters and their journey. But the actual political aspects and the wider range was not even addressed. In the second book, that was more addressed. And then in the third book, it was almost all political. And I must admit that the third book was a harder read uh, because it was more of that. But um, hopefully this won't be the case <laughs> when I write it. So we've already alluded to the fact that obviously Blood Influence is going to be the first of a trilogy. Um, so Well, it may actually be a four-part because actually when I started writing the second book, um, one of my major characters in the first book loved writing her. She was so much fun. And I thought, right, well, she needs to be developed more. She's a good character in terms of an interesting character, not necessarily good as being nice. And uh, there's a lot to her, but although she could be developed so much more, and I like characters to be very three-dimensional. I don't think the characters should be good or bad or they're nuanced. And so there has to be an aspect to a character that gives you a way to actually understand why they work the way they do. So I thought it would be very interesting to be writing more of her backstory and bringing her through. And so the actual second book starts 20 years before the first book. It then comes through leading up to the beginning of the first book and then goes parallel to the first book uh, and a whole lot of other things happen. There's different characters. There's a, a greater world that's happening around. So the way uh, things are interacting is becoming far more obvious and the conflicts and so on become far more obvious. But also certain events that are in the first book are also in the second book just seen from a totally different perspective, possibly giving it a different understanding. So 
writing this, and I'm sort of about halfway through, uh, it would be very interesting for people who have not read the first book to see if they read the second book first and then read the first book, because I do think it will give you a very different perspective. They could be read in either order is the way I expect it, just because the first one's read for, uh, written first doesn't mean it has to be read first. It's interesting because if you read the second book from what you're saying, the, the reader would then know more than the characters in the first book and they would actually have a, an almost behind-the-curtain glimpse at what was going to happen as it comes through. Yes, and I think that's actually quite interesting because uh, usually in these situations you have a naive reader with a naive character, uh, unless you have a Hermione. And I think that's coming to almost uh, literary terms now. Somebody who is able to tell you things without you having to find them out. Fantastic character to have. Uh, but you don't actually need that so much now if you actually already know that from your, your own reading. So reading the first book second, you have a greater understanding, and this is what's so very, very important when you write these sort of things, you have to have your lore, that's L-O-R-E, consistent, and you have to make sure you follow it through so that what you are writing in the second book and third and so on is very consistent from the first book. So therefore... The way the reader reinterprets it's actually going to be correct from what they already know. It's an intriguing thing because in in fiction, which is set in today's world, in in real world terms, you don't have to be consistent about the effect of gravity. It just it's there. It's a given. But yeah. when you're creating your own fantasy world, one of the things that you will come up with is is techniques and laws and lures, as you say, that must be consistent through the book. And, and it's down to you as the author to make sure that you haven't introduced inconsistencies because readers will spot them. It can, it can be quite challenging at times because when you've written the first book and it's out there published, uh, let us say I write slightly on the fly I sort of know where I'm going. Oh, so you don't have you don't have mass wall charts no, no, along here, no? Be bad about that. Um, so I might know where my beginning point is, and I know where my end point is, and all the little pathways through. Eh, we'll see what happens. What's what? How do my characters react and respond to that? So as you write the character, it's fascinating. There are certain characters that are so much fun to write and they write themselves. They tell you what they would do and how they're going to respond. And other characters are very, very difficult to write, possibly because you don't understand them as well as the first characters. And so you create these characters and they develop a life of their own. And you may have thought that they should be doing this, but they say, no, I don't do that. That's not the way you have written me. And so you can't actually do that anymore. And so you have to then change it. I love books such as Dickens. And why I love Dickens so much is when you read his books, yes, it was a social commentary uh, for the times. It was written in periodical form. So each little section had to be very interesting because it was in the newspapers. But he has thousands of characters and they're all little vignettes, they're caricatures and so on. And there is so many ways you can use those and bring them in. So I have a wonderful character in my first book that I created like this. Her name is Agatha Figgett. 
And I love Dickensian ways that names reveal the character of the person. And I hope that the name Agatha Figgett reveals her character. Because she is. She's definitely a figure. And I needed to create her very much for a plot line. So she had a very specific role. But it's, it seems wasteful to bring in a character purely for a single point and then they disappear. I don't like that. So I like these characters being woven in and brought back forwards and back forwards. And so she was able to do that several times in the book and she was able to develop her own character in the way she does it. Now, she's a character that also can be developed forward. I can see her in these other books as well, still being Agatha Figgett, but playing certain roles. But because I brought her in, I have these other slightly offline plot lines that you can follow. They sort of weave out and then weave back in again. They're not major plot lines, but it's to me it makes a fuller world more interesting. And I've got quite a lot of those characters in the first book. They have a particular reason for being there that develops the major plot line, but they can have their own little stories but they also allow major characters to come back and interact with them again in future episodes. Uh, so it's a really intriguing thing, this, about character. I, in my first novel, which was a science fiction alternative history, I introduced a character which I thought was going to be in for about two pages. She had a precise role to play. She ended up coming back in, and, and people think it's insane. I know I wrote her. I know you wrote Figgett but they end up coming up with a life and a character of their own. And so in my case, Mary became a central theme to the plot, went all the way through to the end of the book. And at the end of it, I was so bereft that I'd finished writing her that I reinvented her, gave her a different name, but principally the same character and introduced her into a modern day crime thriller Yeah, because she became such a fantastic character. And that's one of my characters I had in the first book that I just loved writing her, which is why I went, wow, I can't leave her. I've got to actually pull her through. And she, although she seems to, in the first book, come to slightly an unfortunate end, um, she actually hasn't. I'm not allowed to say that, of course. Why <laughs> <laughs> of taking things forward? And... Um, but the amazing thing about this particular character is I was writing it. Um, she, again, she, she had a, the way I wrote this particular character originally in the book, she was minor and really didn't have this at all. And um, my partner's also a writer and uh, has written some amazing books. And uh, I was speaking to him and he said this one point, he said, why don't you get her to look directly at this other major character? That's all he said. And I went, oh, okay. If she looks directly at this major character, then that indicates she understands what's going on. And she gives a direct... If she understands fully what's going on, then that must mean she has all this past history, all this prior knowledge, all this other bits and pieces. And that one line totally changed this character around from being a nothing to suddenly being this force and went, wow. And I had to go back and rewrite her character early in the book to create a forward. And then from that point on in the book, she just became this 
growing force. Still not a made, not still not the major protagonist or antagonist in the book at that stage, but developing so that in this second book she becomes the ability to be a, a forefront a character. Excellent. Excellent work. Um, so with the fact that you write on the fly, maybe uh, more than you plot things out. Um, as a child, what did you want to do? Did you want to be a writer? Did you want to be a doctor? Did you want to I be? I always a wanted to be a doctor from about the age of eight. From the age of eight, I want always want to do medicine. Always, 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 always. So interesting. In your life, you had it plotted. You, you knew exactly. I wanted to do that always, and so that was where I always wanted to be. Um, I always liked the idea of research. Uh, and investigating and looking at through things. And that gives you a very analytical mind. It's able to, you do actually need to look at nuance there, and but you also need to look at minutia, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully I'm not too pedantic, but you need to say, well, this isn't quite correct. This is wrong. You need to be accurate on this. Um, and so that hopefully gives me the ability to make sure I get my timelines right, I get my law right, I get my... Uh, interwoven aspects of, of, of this, right? So that when I'm writing, it's a little, I suppose, you know, you read so many books and there's so many phenomenal authors and we've probably all mentioned Tolkien our life always. But the wonderful thing about Tolkien, he had at least three storylines going concurrently. And so you would flip from one to the other and they're in the same timeline. And so that's what I'm also doing with mine. I've got my three major protagonists in the first book they're in totally different places, they're doing different things, but they're in the same timeline. So you're moving between the stories of all three concurrently in the same timeline. Uh, and that's a lot of fun writing that as well. So you have to be very careful that you're getting the daytime right, the nighttime right, that this is actually fitting and so on. Um, I've always been involved in music and drama and things like that, so that's another passion. So I'm afraid that... Um, my other potential possibility was to do musical theatre as opposed to uh, medicine. So I actually, one of my dreams was when I was at uh, university to audition for NIDA in Sydney because that's where I went to university, be accepted and then refuse. <laughs> so I could have done it. <laughs> oh, very good. So... Apart from um, wanting to be an actor and a, a musical actor and a doctor, when do you think, do you remember when you first thought about maybe writing um, oh, for fiction the, for fun? The kernel of this book has been in my brain for 30 years. Um, I suppose it's this particular concept. I mean, it started, I, I would think, when I read Anne McCaffrey. Uh, and the Dragons of Perm series. Um, I love that concept. And at the very beginning with uh, Lena, who is chosen and she becomes the gold queen, uh, the gold, uh, the, the dragon rider of the, the golden dragon. Um, <clears throat> there was a whole thing there that I went, oh, this is really interesting. And I sort of created this idea. Um, when, I, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking of a, early adult book, sort of teenager book. It was all these concepts and so on. I had, all, I had sort of put this sort of through. Um, then my daughter, and my daughter uh, went through school and she said she wanted to be a writer. Uh, that's what she wanted to be. 
And I went, great, okay. So I floated this idea to her for her to actually give an idea about where she wrote it. She thought, yes, I could this, that, and the other. Um, and then at the end of her year 12, she wrote in her yearbook where she would be at the age of 30. And she said, I'll be living at home with my parents eating stale pizza because that's how much money you make as an author. <laughs> anyway, um, she was going to do a, um, a year's creative writing course at WAPA. Um, and I suggested to her that perhaps uh, she do an English, uh, a Bachelor of English, just so she can learn about all the great authors. She always has something to back, go back on and she can write. Anyway, she did a uh, double major in French and English and just loves teaching. And so she's now an English teacher and uh, wanting to do education and thinking of doing a PhD in education and how to, how to improve uh, that. But she can always write. So she didn't take up my idea. Uh, and then uh, I thought, well, I'm going to have to start sometime. If I don't ever start writing this, I never will. Um, as I say, I've written a huge amount of grants. I've written a lot of papers that have been in medical journals and things like that. Um, this is so much more fun <laughs> because I don't actually have to be um, uh, factually accurate. I just make it up. Though I must admit, I do have Google open a great deal. So I have, so I, my facts that I do about things are very accurate. So on my medical background, I'm not going to shy away from being accurate about certain medical conditions and medical situations and so on. So they're going to be accurate. They're not going to be written in a medical way by any means, but I'm going to make sure I get it real. Uh, and then there are all these other things as well that you go through Google all the time. So within that researching, what's the most surprising or fascinating thing you've discovered? The, oh, look, there's just so much you learn. <laughs> just all these things. Oh, dandelions. Now, what can you do with dandelions? Okay. You can roast their roots and grind them up to make a funny sort of coffee. You can take the fresh leaves and they're not very bitter and the small fresh leaves you can use in salads. You make dandelion tea out of the flower heads. And so you can take a dandelion and there's all these different things in different parts that you can create mocks of different things from. I go, oh, wow, fascinating. Um, poisons are fun. Um, and so, well, where would you find poisons? Well, we always have known that potatoes are poisonous. If potatoes were a pharmaceutical agent now, they would not have been passed by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. They are too poisonous. You do not eat green potatoes. You have to keep them in the dark because they actually are quite dangerous. And so collecting your potatoes at the wrong time when they're too small, they're green and so on, actually is quite toxic. That's an interesting point that you can use later because if we're losing an agrarian society, you could actually poison someone with a potato. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? Um, and so there's all sorts of other bits and pieces you can do. I have not poisoned someone with my potato with a potato. See, there's so. a great meme out on the internet, um, which is a, a <laughs> investigator and a detective looking, and they're saying, "Oh my goodness, look at their search history. They've researched poisons. They've researched guns. They've researched." Yes, they're an author. <laughs> and then the guy goes, "Yes, but they've also researched how to get coffee at three o'clock in the morning. It's just another author." <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly right. So it's actually lots of fun. Um, one of the other things I love is as well, I um, trying to choose names. And names are very, very important for your characters. Um, 
And so choosing your name creates a part of a character. And so I have three, my three protagonists are Shan, Molly and Moira. Now, Molly, by her name, sounds very down-to-earth, jolly, um, sensible, uh, works hard. That's the sort of the image I get from Molly. Moira sounds a bit uppity, a bit upper class, probably a bit prissy. Sean, hopefully you have no idea whatsoever because I made the name up. <laughs> so hopefully, Sean, you have no idea uh, who Sean is. And that's the idea. Um, but then I needed some certain other names. Um, and I love the name Morticia, but you can't use the name Morticia. I mean, that's the Adams family. So I went back to medieval female names and I came up with Mortella. And I think, well, I can't remember a Mortella in literary history. I'm sure there must be, but I can't. So one of my characters is called Mortella and that fits her character. There's a lot with that. I mean, Mort meaning dead or death. It's female, it's got an A on the end, Mortella. Um, and so that creates who she is. And then you create your families around and the various names of people. Now, they may not be big characters, and you don't have to name everybody. Um, I don't think everybody needs a name in a book. If they're significant or they have a role to play and the name is important, yes, give them a name. Otherwise, there's no point of a name. But having, so I have the matron. That's her name. She doesn't have any other, her title is her name. So it's actually, it's very interesting. But I did, you know, you tend to perseverate on certain vowels or, or, or consonants. So you tend to have Jack, John, Jonathan, or Molly, Moira, Maeve, and you go, oh, golly, I've got to start stop using that M or that J and, and start thinking up some other names. So you sometimes change somebody's name halfway through the book going, mm, yes, I've had too many of those sort of names. They're going to get confusing about who they're talking about. Yeah, it's intriguing with regards to especially putting hard consonant sounds into names um, or soft vowel sounds into names. It, it, it sets peculiarly, depending on how you're talking about them, it sets traits of the character. I agree. Now, when you're not writing, um, yes, you're a doctor and a successful one, a very successful one, um, but what do you do when you're not writing and you're not being your doctor self? Um, well, I think, so, yeah, getting older. Um, I've been thinking about retiring for 20 years. <laughs> so every Monday morning, I think about retiring. Uh, so I... I've always thought as well that you need to train for your retirement the way you trained for your career. Uh, and so you need to develop other interests. Uh, so, uh, so I go to the gym regularly to keep fit and well and enjoy that. Uh, learn Spanish. Uh, read, not quite as much as I probably should, uh, but then it's also hard to read when you are writing. Um, you do not want to write in somebody else's voice. And if you read anything that's very similar to what you're reading, you may inadvertently pick up some of their writing style or pick up some of their ideas and plagiarise it, which you actually do not want to do. You want everything to do is your originality. Look, yes, there's nothing original in this world anyway, but the way you put it together uh, can at least be original. Um, and, you know, Mark's got four children. I've got four children, so there's a lot of family. Uh, we are building a place in the country, uh, and that's a retreat, and that's going to be a writing retreat 
so we can go up there and just be in the bushland and have a writing room and uh, and just spend time there. We actually write very well in the same space uh, so that we can be in the same room, both writing and interrupt each other every so often and say, look, can I just talk? And what do you think of this? Um, I'm stuck. This is my idea. Do you have a, do you have a, what do you think? And, that little bit of cross isolation makes a huge difference because writing can be a very isolating or insular pursuit. So actually being able to do it with somebody, I think co-writing a book would not work. I think that would be very, very, very difficult. But uh, cross-fertilizing ideas and so on is actually wonderful. Uh, we love to travel. So uh, we do go away and uh, experience other things and so on. And, you know, one of the things I was also thinking is... Um, uh, volunteering time for uh, Doctors Without Borders and things like that, Mark's a nurse. Um, and so we could go away for three months and volunteer our times in uh, third world countries and so on. And that gives you another way of writing. I love the concept of actually writing a realistic experiential thing that, that you might add a fictional characters to. Um, so that would be very interesting to write as well. And so you can write that at the same time. Well, that's intriguing. Now, what we're going to do, if you're game for it, is end with um, 15 quick fire. Quick, okay, quick. Um, which may well tell us something about your psyche or may well tell us just general random facts. Um, right, so Ian Lawrence, are you ready? Yes. What is your favourite book? Pride and Prejudice. Least favourite? I don't think I've ever read a least favourite. Interesting. I mean, you can always find something nice about something. Oh, very good. Aren't you a kind person? Um, <laughs> I've got to be because I'm, people might not be kind to me. <laughs> in life in general, what turns you on? Love food, love travel, uh, love uh, talking to interesting people. And what turns you off? Oh, derogatory, uninterested um, people who uh, just don't care. Summer or winter? Oh, summer. On a completely free day to do anything that you want to, who do you spend it with? Mark. Mountains or oceans? Well, I scuba dive. Um, so I'm not a beach person, but I scuba dive, so probably oceans. Very good. Uh, what is your favourite movie? Depends which one you most recently saw. Um See, I'm going to be very movie? out there and go, Train to Busan. Okay, with your music. Actually, no, no, no. Something Everywhere, Anytime, okay. the most recent one. That was brilliant. Michelle Yeoh. That, that, that's, and um, um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Absolutely hilarious, funny, brilliant movie. Excellent. Yeah. Um, one song or piece of music to listen to, to for the rest of your life on loop? On loop, golly. Probably something Enyurish. Who makes you laugh the most? <laughs> mm, I'm not sure. Um, Mark tries. <laughs> but sometimes I just grimace. Um, I don't know who makes me laugh the most. Um, there are some comedians that are absolutely hilarious, uh, but it depends on the day. And it depends on how well they did it. <laughs> Sometimes they're not funny at all. Okay. What smell do you love? Gardenias. And what smell do you hate? Oh, come on. I'm a gastroenterologist. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> Actually, um, one of the worst smells is um, ischiorectal abscess. Oh, gosh. I'm not even <laughs> That is foul. Absolutely foul. <laughs> I, I don't want to even think any more about that. Other than a writer or indeed a doctor, what profession would you like to have done? An actor, musical, musical theatre. And what profession would you not like to have done? Accountant. And if heaven exists, what's God going to say when you get there? Hello. Welcome. Excellent. <laughs> Listen, Ian, thank you ever so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, good luck with the second book. And um, we'll look forward to seeing it out on the shelves. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for everything. No worries. Bye now. Hey, thanks for listening to this latest episode of Book Realities, our Interviews with Authors series. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and turn your notifications on so that you never miss any content updates from us. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating or a review as it really helps the podcast's visibility, as does passing the pod on to any writers or author friends that you may have who you know will be interested in it. And join our exclusive mailing list at www.bookreality.com. The next episode will be released this time next week. But until then, stay safe and well. All the best. <laughs>